Welcome to the Woke Blokes Podcast, hosted by Nick Sutherland from MindFit and Ryan Hassan from the Center for Healing. Let's get into today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Woke Blokes Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Hassan, joined by Nick Sutherland from MindFit. Nico, how are you, mate? I am very, very at peace at the moment. It's at peace. Winter, winter in Australia. I know you're in Thailand, but it's winter down here, and it's bright blue sunny days and amazing sunsets, and it's just a very peaceful time. I love the, I love the change in seasons. I couldn't live in in Thailand where I have, but it's the same all the time. I love the the change. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love listening to people complaining about the weather because I just hear how much suffering <laughs> it's, they're It's your favourite thing, isn't it? That is. But I hear it this morning. I was at Pilates this morning and the Pilates instructor said, um, oh, wasn't it cold this morning? It was so hard to get out of bed. And I was like, do I, don't I? I'm like, yeah, fuck it, I will. I'm like, do you realise every time you say how hard it is, you're just wiring your brain to make it even harder for next time? And she's like, am yeah. I? I went, yeah, that's what's happening. So. <laughs> yeah, the change of seasons. Well, I'm very, I'm at peace also, but I'm very excited. I'm peaceful and excited because we have an international guest today. Our first. We- First international guest, that's right. We have Jose from We Are All One Story. Jose, welcome to the Woke Blogs podcast. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing great. I'm at peace as well, so I'm going to go on and join that party. The peace, the peace party. <laughs> the peace <Awesome>. party. <laughs> How's uh, America's not in peace at the moment, though, is it? Or is you know, it, um, America is beyond a doubt not in peace right now. Um, there's no arguing that. I saw, I saw this my- post... I've been off social media, dude, so I, I didn't even know that um, a, a, a man was killed. I didn't know that there was riots. Yeah. I, I didn't, I'm, I'm the definition of living under a rock. Um, and But I did jump on social media quickly the other day and I saw this uh, tweet, I think it was, and it was, with everything that's happening in America right now, it's, it's like they've been cursed. It's like they're, they're on top of an Indian burial ground oh, wait, hang on, dot, 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 dot. And I was like, wow, just bring even more racist issues into a situation right. where there's already a lot there. Right. Yeah, it's pretty intense. Um, what's that? If you want uh, to dive into what's going on right here stateside, um, yeah, there's there's a lot of civil unrest. There's a lot of protests and rioting, and rightfully so. So, yeah. you know, a lot of times, I think personally we know change looks like if we're talking just in your own person, that looks chaotic from the outside looking in. I think right now in America, we're seeing that change as a nation. And right now it looks chaotic, but we'll come out on the other side, you know, better than we were, you know, then. So we spoke, yeah, we spoke pretty- about this on last week's podcast about change. And does it, does, do we need to write? Do we need to have have a violent reaction? Like you look at Martin Luther King and and you know Gandhi and, and um, Nelson Mandela and all these all these agents for change and they were all promoting peace and, right. and all that sort of stuff. So it, does one way work better than the other, or do we have? Is it? I don't know. You know. Um- Ideally, what we want is the peaceful change. Um, but like, if I want to compare the change with the nation within the change of a person, it's almost the same. 
we want the change within ourselves to be peaceful, but oftentimes it's not. Um, it looks actually like chaos, whether that's an addiction, whether that's uh, fighting depression, whether that's uh, fighting anxiety. It's, it's tense. It's intense. And when you're going through that, that's when you finally figure out something's not right. And that's what we're going through as a nation right now. You know, there's the rioting, there's the unrest, there's the anxiety, there's the uncertainty. And at the very least, we can agree that something's not right and that something needs to change. How that all, change goes about... It all sounds fear-based, though. It all sounds fear-based. And the way that I, I work and has to think is a bit similar is is sort of surrendering and mm-hmm. and... It's a, it's a weird, it's an interesting one because when you want to change, you can either try and force change, and and people think that if you surrender and just go with the flow, then the bigots and and everything are, are going to stay in power and everything. So, I, I think it's a really interesting topic because you know, I'm very Buddhist um, yeah. in my approach to things yeah. and, and sort of go more into surrender. And I'm listening to you say when you're fighting depression and you're fighting anxiety, right? I, well, I tend to do the opposite. I, I, well, I observe them and surrender and let them go. So I agree. I agree. Ways. And in my experience, I surrendered to God. And when I finally surrendered, the fighting stopped. Mm-hmm. Me fighting on my own, yeah, there's, there's like beating my head against a wall. So I agree with that fundamental belief and that premise. But, you know, it's hard to apply that premise to a nation where, you know, there is a lot of police brutality and there is a lot of violence and, a nation that fosters violence. So, you know, ideally, yeah, we want people to have that change um, peacefully and that surrender without having to go through the fight. Mm. But what just ha- so happened, what's happening right now is that right now people are going through that fight. And I think, you know, I agree there does need to be a moment of surrender and, and all those things. But um, to do that as a nation is much more difficult, I think, than to do it as a person. There's a lot more moving parts there. Yeah, yeah a lot we more can't, moving parts. We can't, imagine, yeah. we can't imagine what it's like. We're on the outside looking in, obviously. And yeah. We, My girlfriend and I wanted to go to the protest in the city in Melbourne last weekend, but we decided not to because of coronavirus and we didn't want to yeah. you know, be part of that. But we heard it was a very peaceful process, but we've heard there's been very unpeaceful protests all over the world so yeah. right but I, but I think just... it's 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 mostly peaceful but then when you get these there's such large groups then a subset of people who are like into crime Agreed. and everything see it as an opportunity Agreed. to loot and then they're the ones this small subsection gets all the media yeah. attention so i think it looks exactly. like there's more chaos when actually it's probably 98 percent peaceful I, yeah actually me and um my brother ralph we went to a protest and that's what we saw we saw um you know, on the ground, in person, we saw, not only did we see the chaos, we felt the chaos. We felt, um, you know, just negative emotions. And I'm pretty in tune with my feelings these days. And it was intense. I was like, you know, this doesn't feel like love. Mm. Um, but it's just like you said, I also, you know, from my own eyes, I, I was able to see that within that protest, there's multiple different agendas. And... Mm that's where the chaos comes in that there is there wasn't that unity within the protest i was at not all protests are like that there are more peaceful ones but you're right there's some people in there who just want to riot some people who just want to loot there's some people who are just mad at the world who are there but there are some people there who do want justice and do want change and it's you know it's sad that the other agendas 
get more um, airtime versus the actual cause and the actual mission and the actual issue at hand. So, yeah, you know, like I said, there's a lot of moving agendas and moving pieces and, and you know, it's much more complex. It's as complex and as dynamic as it gets, especially 100%. like... 100%. You know? Yeah, and totally. And you're dealing with ba- base human emotions and you're dealing with mob mentality and you're dealing with, you know, en- energy, yeah. as you were talking about. That energy just creates a groundswell and you can get so easily caught up in it no matter yeah. what your belief system or what your agenda is if... Everyone around you is overriding that with different energy. Yeah, it's intense. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Let's be, we're talking yeah. about energy. Let's talk about some good energy, Jose. Let's yes. talk about We Are All One Story. Why don't you tell yeah. the listeners what uh, We Are One Story is and, and how it all started? So what We Are All One Story is, what uh, me and my brothers do, we travel the U.S. and next year we plan to travel internationally. But... Um, we go to and we just listen to people's stories and we then publish their stories on our social media outlets, which would be on our YouTube channel and our Instagram at We Are All One Story. Um, we saw that in this day and age that it, it's easy to lose sight of the value in your own story, that um, it's something that we know that is true. We know that our story has value, but we're not reminded of it enough. We don't hear it enough. And, um, we just go around reminding people like, Hey, your story matters. We want to listen to it. And we want to hear, we want to hear what you have to say because what you have to say matters. And, um, that's pretty much the gist of what we do. How that started is, um, you know, that's just a, that's, that's a pretty intense story in of itself. I myself lost the value in my own story to the point where I wanted to take my own life. And, um, you know, by the, by the grace of God, I made it out of that, but that's where it came from. Like, I didn't see the value in my story. I thought my life didn't matter. I thought my story didn't matter. I thought nobody cared. I thought nobody loved me. And finally I was just like, you know, my story means something if for the basic reason, because I, as a person have value, Mm. that's enough reason for my story to mean and to mean everything. And, you know, I hung on to that idea and I cling to that idea and, we just go around telling people that and listening to and sharing stories. So. That's, so, that's so beautiful. I love that. I love that. Why, why don't you tell people maybe what led you to be in that dark place? Like I know there's stories of being in a street gang, being in prison. There's a lot there, but maybe, you know, what what led you to thinking that your your story doesn't have meaning? You know, I think it was um, a culmination of events. I think when I hit that deep depression, it, it didn't just happen overnight. It didn't just happen per se, even that year, it happened throughout my life, throughout, throughout from my childhood to my adulthood. Um, and there were, you know, big factors as a kid, you know, my mom was extremely disciplinarian, you know, like she didn't spare the rod. She was, Hey, you mess up. I'm going to beat you with a stick, a cord, anything. And, and at a young age, I, you know, you know, I still held on to love, but I just really started numbing myself and I started just, you know, kind of, um, disassociating myself with like, you know, affection and emotion. And, um, that carried on into, uh, my early teens where, you know, I joined a gang at 16 and in that gang, you know, I thought, you know, that it was love. Cause I didn't know any better, you know, growing up poor and growing up in a dysfunctional home, my dad's gone. My mom is an extreme disciplinarian, but she's also not affectionate. I don't know. I have no clue what love looks like. And when I saw 
the street culture. That's felt like love to me, guys. Connection, um, yeah. Being well, yeah, a connection yeah. at the very least, a connection. Yeah, we, we're all kind of going, yeah. yeah, yeah, the belonging, the connection, the camaraderie. Except that all those things came with the price. Um, and I think it was a, a lot heavy of guys price. get that in the joining the joining the army. You know, and yeah. your brothers was in the army. I think a lot of people who joined the army have had a tough childhood, tough upbringing as well, and and they get that sense of camaraderie, that sense of brotherhood. Yeah. But uh, you know, looking from my experience in the army, the army is like a big gang as well. Yeah, and yeah. Some pretty, you know, pretty shitty rites of passage and initiation. <laughs> yeah. Got got guns. Yeah. It's just a legal gang. That's all yeah. it is. Yeah. Indeed, <laughs> you know, it's, it's yeah. interesting what you said before about the, the finding your value, and I, I love that you've come into that. I had a client last year, and and she was a paramedic, a first responder, and she had um this belief system that she had no value. And I said to her, "All right, so there's a a child with um you know an an intellectual disability. Do they have value?" You know, they can't read or write or anything. She goes, well, yeah, of course I have value. And I said, okay, does does someone who's murdered someone, they're in prison, do they have value? Yeah. And she said, yeah. well, yeah, they have value. And I said, why do they have value? And she said, well, because they're human. And I said, and I had her in that moment, I said, do you have yeah. value? And she's like, Oh fuck! It's coming. It's, yeah. That's I the do. moment. That's the moment, isn't it? It's like yeah. ah, I guess I do. I, I've told yeah. myself that I didn't for my whole life, but I guess I do. Yeah, yeah. So everyone else is allowed to have value, but not her. Was her story right? So, and I think we're also devalued by everyone else's opinions and beliefs so much. We're we're not allowed to share our story, especially as men. I don't know what it's like for in the States, but in Australia it's very harden up, have some concrete, don't don't be weak, don't speak about things, don't show emotions. Yeah. Indeed. And the the biggest prison is the one in your own mind. Mm. Um and how do you stay in that prison by not talking to other people about your issues? You're trapped within your own head and and to try and navigate a deep depression and navigate it on your own, I think, I mean, you're set up for failure. Like you, it says men, we feel we can't talk to anybody, just like you said, but you're just, you're just building more of that wall within yourself and it's a trap. And when I was going through my depression, I never knew about mental health or mental, mental awareness. I was, I had no freaking clue what was going on. I was, I just felt horrible and you know, luckily I have a faith system that I was able to, to cling to, to keep me here. But people who don't have, like, if you don't know what's going on, it's half the best. It's almost like it's set up for you to fail. And I don't know why people don't talk about mental health awareness more because by you feeling comfortable talking about what you're going through, that literally will save your life. Yeah. And I mean, mental health is everything. That's what Ryan and I are all about is if you've, if you've got a body, you've got physical health. If you've got a mind, you've got mental health. And yeah. we're, the, we're just trying to change the perception that people have around this whole mental health. Yeah. There seems to be so much shame because people relate mental health yeah. to anxiety, depression, suicide, bipolar, schizophrenia. They're, they're talking about mental health issues and mental illness. Yeah. And there's such a misunderstanding that happiness and peace and joy is 
all part of mental health as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think it was so important what you said there about us us guys, you know, we, we internalize and internalize and we keep putting up these walls and then nothing, funnily enough, nothing gets better when we internalize and then we get <laughs> yeah. to a point yeah. when we're, you know, we're 25, we're 35, however old we are and we've got so many much walls around us and we're struggling so much that even when we come to the realization I need to speak or need to let someone in, we don't know how. Because we've got so yeah. many walls around us, we can't even yeah. see that it's possible. Yeah, yeah. But if we're not taught about our feelings either, if we don't have a parent who's emotionally intelligent and can help us to ex- learn what is we're experiencing, we're not. We're not yeah. gonna, that ignorance around our emotions is going to be a barrier to talking as well. Like, as, how do you feel? And everyone just says, "Good," yeah. or okay. "I'm fine." I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. yeah, I'm good. No, I'm great. No. I'm great, right? <laughs> and, and like Ryan at the start said, "How are you, Nico?" I said, "Ah," oh, and I actually take time and how I'm feeling. I'm feeling at peace. That's that's yeah. how I'm feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's talk about Jose. That there's a couple of things I want to talk about, but I really want to get to this maybe light bulb moment for you. Like, what was that moment where you just said, "Fuck." I actually have inherent value. This simple truth that I knew as a child. When did that? When did you get reminded of that? I mean, when you know, when I was crazy. I mean, it's out of this world. But you know, to even think about it, when I have, when I think about the whole depression and and all that, it was like I just wanted to kill myself. Um, and man, I'm holding on to anything, like. People don't understand the power of kind words. Like someone tells me something, I was holding on to that for that day. Um, did you want to somebody, end your life, did, or did huh? you want to end your suffer? Did you want to end your life, or did you want to end your suffering? You know, that's a great question. Probably the suffering, which I connected with my life because I felt that you know the suffering was, you know, punishment for the crimes I had committed, for the life that I had lived, for for you know, because where I'm from, you know, most of my friends are either dead, in jail, drug addicts, and there's not too much of a future. I feel that I, I escaped that for some reason. And then during the Depression, I felt, well, you thought you escaped. Little did you know, this is your punishment. This is how deep it was. And I just wanted to get out of it, you know. And I, and I thought that the only way to get out of it was to end my life. Because then the anxiety was, I didn't have, like, know what anxiety was before, but... I, I experienced where my whole body is tense and my stomach is curled inside and I feel like I can't breathe and my thoughts are racing and I just felt like I just wanted to end. And, you know, I just looked at my life and I was like, man, this doesn't mean anything. And, um, like, I just remember what my mom told me as a kid. She was like, hey, you always mean something because you're a person. You know, because you're still a creation of God. It doesn't matter what you've done, what you do. You always have value just because of who you are. And that's what I clung to because I grabbed onto that and I haven't let go of it. Um, but yeah, man, it was, geez, it was, um, it was something I'd never experienced before. You know, I felt like I was a pretty tough guy. And, and I just felt like, man, this, this battle in my head is just beating me up every day. Mm, that mask, the mask, uh, the mask is a tough guy on the outside. 
Yeah, yeah. We talk about it all the time, how it takes more strength to open up and to let go than it takes to stay shut off and closed off. So as men, we've got this irrational belief that strength is all about, no, I'm fine, I'm okay, bury my head in the sand, but the real strength comes in what you guys are doing now and it comes in... You know, opening up and sharing your story and, and helping others to... Oh, it's it's know, them taking off the mask and then having people take yeah. off their mask because the more people that take that mask off, it gives everyone else permission to do the same. And that, exactly. that's kind of this, this, this positive ripple yeah. effect. And there's something really important you said there about when you were in those really dark times and you were trying to cling to anything and is it just someone saying something nice? I've got a friend, uh, Matt Runnels, shout out to him, runs Mindful Oz down here in Melbourne and his one of the things he says is just fucking smile at people right on the street that you walk past it it may not mean anything to you but you never know what that person's going through and it's true true, because when we're in if we're someone's suicidal or deep depression just seeing someone smile at them that they're not expecting that's something they can maybe cling on to for that day or that week that hey the whole world isn't bad yeah yeah I agree yeah and what's it what's it like for you to sit here now Jose having come from the depths of those lows to to now being vulnerable and open and sharing and helping other people to be open how, how does it sit within you personally to sit here going wow I'm I mean if, here to hear how does it feel it's yeah. night and day to go from wanting to take your own life to waking up every day appreciating life I mean it's night and day hmm. it, it, it's unreal um, like I told my sister, I was like, man, this is like from how I was. And I venture to say, I felt numb for a great part of my life since, you know, like I'm just based on how I grew up and I feel like I get to experience the world like a kid again, believing yeah. it, and yeah. looking for the good in people and, and not thinking everybody's out to get me and not thinking negative, not letting negative thoughts run rampant. It's actually amazing how I feel now. And when I, and I told my sister, like, it's too good to be true. And she just told me on, on, she said, well, it is, it is true. So just get used to it and keep on going. <laughs> I like and, the sound of her. I like the sound <laughs> of her. <laughs> so um, it's night and day. It's amazing. It's, 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 And was, it's was like, part of your like, journey forgiving yourself? Was there a moment where you had to sit down and forgive yourself of course, for your past? Of course. I mean, your, yeah. I mean, my journey, like, I feel, you know, was more spiritual than anything, but I feel like, you know, I did go to prison. I got a five year sentence and out of those five years, I did a little over four. Um, during that, I had a lot of resentment towards my mother. Um, but during that time in prison, I got to talk to, you know, other friends who were in there. And to be honest, like I got to see that it's all relative. And I finally realized like, you know, my mom's going through her own stuff and she did raise six kids on her own. And I focused on the good with her and, I didn't make a plan getting out of prison, but what I did do, I like I was able to forgive my mom and let and stop blaming her for stuff. But then I still had my dad, who I still held like it was a process. <laughs> so, you know, so it wasn't this. I was like, okay. So now, but this is the. I ended up having I paroled. I was on I was uh, on parole for two years in L.A. And then I was just getting stuck back into the, the gang culture. Like once you're in, I went back to my environment and that was a trap in and of itself. My dad reached out to me, who was an absentee father. He said, you know, son, you can come live with me. I don't care. 
I took him up on that offer as much as I hated to. I felt that I had to. Mm. And, you know, getting to know my dad and living with him, I just finally, that was another moment that took years. I lived with him for three years and I just, regardless of him not being there when I was a kid, he wanted to be there now. And I can't deny that he loves me. However, whatever happened, regard, and that was the level of forgiveness for him. And, um, but when I went through the depression, I was just, how, how do you forgive yourself? That's well, the last person I need. With you, it sounds like you've reached this level of emotional maturity and this, this emotional right. intelligence came through and it is so big a part of the process to stop being a victim, stop this happened right. to me, this is my story, yeah. this is how I was treated, my mum didn't do this, my dad didn't yeah. do this. The blame, yeah. blame, blame, judge, judge, judge. Yeah. I had to do the same. There's a whole lot of it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and I remember the day where I finally stopped and I went, all right, let's stop making this about me. Let's make it about my dad. All right, he was undiagnosed yeah. bipolar or manic depression. Yeah. He was self-medicating with drugs and alcohol. Yeah, and I, I, I spent some time in his shoes and looked at it through his lens for a minute. I was like, fuck, that's pretty tragic. So all of a sudden I could come from empathy and compassion and, yeah, and more of an unconditional exactly. love. And yes. in that love, I still think it really sets you free to forgive. And yeah, so beyond it's amazing doubt. that you've done that. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, Jose, you, you strike me and I think you've said a few things about being quite uh, emotionally in tune or energetically in tune and, and being in touch with that. And just tell me about that process because to me it sounds like you had kind of, and this is what a lot of us do, like we're in good company, we're quite sensitive men, us three, emotionally, and we, <laughs> and, and, and we shut that down based on what happens to us when we're young. And like you said, you even said yeah. you numbed yourself, started dissociating. So has that been, yeah. what's that experience been like reconnecting with, you know, your emotions again? I mean, to understanding that emotions are normal, yeah. that I'd rather experience the emotions than to numb them. And um, I'd rather go through the emotions of the day than to not feel anything. I know what it feels like to be numb and to want to take your, I'm never going back there. And I appreciate being able to feel every day. Like that, you know, people talk down about don't be emotional, your emotions, don't talk about how you feel. That's what makes us human. If we didn't have our emotions, we'd be robotic. Mm. But the emotional factor that we have, that's what gives us the zest you know, the zest in life. And, and a lot of, you know, now I've, I'm happy to be able to experience it. But I do remind myself, like, you know, I do cry. And if I want, I'm like, Hey, I remember not just, you know, not feeling anything. So I, like I get, I go through the range of emotions now and I am in tune with them. And I feel like that's actually, that's normal. That's what life's supposed to be like, you know, at the end of the day. And, um, but we're taught to suppress our emotions. Yeah. Did, did you reason, did you so. numb yours? You said you numbed them as a kid, so you sh- you shut off internally. I imagine when when you got to a bit older in life, did you did you use medication, whether it was prescribed or non-prescribed, drugs, alcohol, pills? Yeah, I was heavy. Drink, I quit drinking, but uh, I was an alcoholic beyond a doubt, um, and I struggled with alcohol addiction, and it ran rampant. Um, uh, my dad's up, you know. Not to you know, but my dad has just drinking issue. Um, I picked up on it and like, yeah, I felt like it, in a weird way, I felt like when I drank, that's when I could feel. And it's actually like, it was just, you know what I mean? Where I could, mm-hmm. and it was like, but I can feel that 
not drinking, but I used drinking as like, I felt like I could connect with people more or I could. Well, that was um, the gateway to feeling because yeah, people cut themselves. Yeah. You know, harming is a way of yeah. feeling. So Exactly. It was, um, but uh, yeah, that's what I use. I, I use like, you know, for my anxiety, I would uh, <laughs> take a few shots. And it, all they did was bang, make bang it worse. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, and then, uh, but it was just what it, all that, all the alcohol did was postpone, mm. postpone and then make it worse. I'm getting worse, not getting better, except I'm not knowing how worse I'm getting because I'm numbing myself even more. Um, mm. But finally, you know, I ended up, I got a DUI and I had to stop drinking. And finally, I was able to look at my life and process what was happening and to see like, you know, my life is in shambles right now. And at the very minimum, I can't drink. Mm -hmm. Um, and that started a process, you know, of sobriety. And, um, you know, it's the first time I went to therapy. It was the first time I talked to a therapist. It's the first time I really started writing down my emotions because I had the way I used to deal with it was drinking. Now I had to find other outlets. Like my back was against the wall, but you know, the things that I found to work for me, I just kept on doing them and I do them to this day. And, and what things are those? You said maybe writing out your emotions, is, is journaling a part of your practice? How do you, how do you do that? Yeah, I journal, I journal every day. Um, it's definitely part of, part of my practice. Um, if I'm feeling a certain way, I don't hesitate to talk to Ralph about it, to my sisters about it. I'm not here to hesitate to, to hold back on talking about my emotions. I saw where that got me. And I'm like I said, I, w I won't go down that path again. So just being open, like right now being vulnerable, if people ask me a question, not to worry about the judgment of the answer I have more. So just worry about that. My answer is true to who I am. And, um, and that it's positive and, and, and that's it. Like it was just a perception change. And, and, you know, it takes a lot to see that, um, to see that what the world thinks doesn't matter. What matters is that, you know, I'm alive and I'm here and I'm healthy and I see my own worth. And once you see that, like, like I'm like an old person who doesn't care what people think. You know, he's <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no fucks left. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was going to say it takes an inner strength and an inner groundedness and being comfortable in your own skin. But yeah, it also takes yeah. being old and giving no fucks as yeah. well. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, would you um, would you change anything in your life? Would you, looking back at your your past, would you sitting here today? Would you change anything? No, no. I feel that you know all the things I went through, I had to go through. I wouldn't be here today without my my life story. The same way the other person, like it, you know, everything worked out towards the good at the end. Um, and it, like I have, I used to sit down and think like, well, what if I had a dad growing up? Or what if my mom wasn't, you know, I would have those hypotheticals. Um, but at the end of the day, like um, I feel like I'm in the best possible outcome given my life. So if we were to play around with all the moving pieces, like. Well, those hypoth hypotheticals aren't reality, are they? So exactly, exactly. So I feel, yeah, in, this is the you're best in a reality yeah. of what you think should, would, or could have happened right. instead of exactly. the reality of what did. Yeah, so I think everything worked out for the best, um, and it's actually beautiful. I mean, it's not always pretty, but in the end, it's you know, it's a beautiful picture.
Yeah, and I love what you said about, you know, it's really night and day. And I get this, you know, me and Nick have both been there and with clients we've worked with. And I think when we're, when we go through something like depression or anxiety or drug addiction, alcoholism, whatever, it's very hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. But I think once people come out the other side, we have this gratitude that wasn't there even before, all the mental illness. And that I remember after my drug addiction and uh, getting clean, and I even just took my dog for a walk. And it was like I'd walked him, my God, hundreds of times, right? Maybe thousands of times. But this time yeah. it was like a completely different experience. It was like I wasn't trying to yeah. rush and just finish the walk. It was just taking everything in. It's like the simple things in life we can become grateful yeah. for because we've been down to those those depths yeah. and that darkness. Agreed. You, you can't have light without dark. You can't have life without death. You can't have love without hate. So I think what people do is think that they should be in the light all the time and that creates this aversion to being in the dark and when they find themselves in the dark it creates this really negative mindset and uh, they beat yeah. themselves up and and I, I don't know what you guys think but uh, just this constant ebbing and flowing so we're going to have good days yeah. we're going to have bad days we're going to feel great we're not going to feel great we're going to be emotionally stable we're going to be emotionally yeah. retarded it's and, and if, <laughs> yeah. if, we don't, if we don't accept that you know, 24 hours has light and dark in it then we're yeah. just going to suffer even more yeah yeah i think jose you said like it's not it's not always pretty and that's just, that's yeah. the thing you know we, we, we come out the other end of this real deep darkness but then we i think managing and moving forward is understanding that you know shit's still going to happen yes i'm going to wake up yeah. and feel like crap some days and we just like you said yeah. nick we just keep moving through that and not beating ourselves up and just accepting yeah that, that that's what life that's is okay. not punishing yourself for right. feeling crap or being reactive one day or you know stop yeah. get rid of this concept that we have to be perfect emotionless or just emotionally positive creatures yeah yeah agreed agreed, agreed. i think the, hey, the said, key part is said, being nice to yourself being kind to yourself self-love you know? that's where it all starts self-love exactly uh oh there's some knuckle tattoos self-love maybe <laughs> um you said you talked about your jail experience it sounds a bit different to ryan's but um yeah doing over doing a t touch over four years hey hey i had three days of hard time all right hard <laughs> this is you know hey shame. mind you when i was in jail for my dui those were i learned in those three days what it took me four years in some days nick, to learn. nick so, are you listening so, three days must be know. that must be the period that's the hardest <laughs> You didn't do the four years part of it, Ryan. You only did the three days. <laughs> I did that in my personal prison. I did longer than that. <laughs> I'll stop it. I'll give you that. Um, but, the, the, I mean, people hear someone's in jail and the mind automatically leaps to those of us that are ignorant. That, that can't be good. That can't be a good experience. You hear of all the terrible stuff from TV shows and movies and whatever. What, um, but you said you, you you spoke to your brothers in there and your friends and um, you, you took a lot out of that. So what, can you just explain a little bit what it was like? You know, looking back at it now from this lens, it's terrifying. Um, but when you're 18 years old and it all you really know, you grew up in a violent household, the gangs, you know, violence again, and, you know, that segues into prison, just more violence. And what it is, is it, since you're numb, it's normal. You have to numb yourself because if you are, you can't 
live like that. So, but we've already gotten used to living like that. Mm. So when we're in prison, it's an extension of like, we're like, of us almost. So there was a, famili a familiarity there, was there? Of course. Yeah, yeah. Of course. And that's what it is for most of us in prison. It's a familiar, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, you build whole rationales as to why it's okay that this guy got stabbed halfway to death. You build whole rationales to justify things that are wrong so that you don't have to feel those emotions, so that you don't have to feel like bad, that you don't have to have, so you, you make systems that are like wrong. Um, and being in prison, you know, I've, you know, it gave me a lot of insight. Um, I've always been a ponderer and a, being in there and seeing the violence and the gangs that I was a participant in, um, it just made me question like, man, none of this, like, none of this really makes sense. Like mm. this person hates you just because you're from this gang. This guy hates you just because you're from that gang. This guy hates you because you're black. This guy hates you because you're white. It's just hate in general and hate it's knows no race. Isn't it? mm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard and, irrational. Exactly. And, and, and the hate permeates those walls. Um, yeah, it was intense. I took a lot of lessons, but also I also learned, you know, I was able to gain perspective when I would, when I talked to my friends and I would hear their stories and, um, you know, I would contrast that against mine and I was able to see like, hey, at the end of the day, we're all going through our own personal stories and I was able to see, be able to put myself at least in my mom's shoes and say, you know, mm. man, she was dealing with a bunch of stuff. As far as in prison, I feel like I always knew that, hey, everyone's, you know, tattooed up. And you, what I see is I, we see a persona. We don't see the person hmm. because no one there feels safe to be themselves because we have to be this gang member. We, I'd rather you see a threat of violence than to you see the inner kid that I am who's just really hurt. You know what I mean? And we just, everything's negative. And we twist the negative to thinking it's okay and it's not right. And, you know, it's intense and it's, it's a whole different world with a whole different set of rules. Do you, um, want to, do you want to take what you're doing now back into the prisons? Do you want to help, help prisoners who have been incarcerated to realize there's so much value in who they are and their story. Yeah, because, you know, in there I've felt like, you know, luckily I had my sisters who would visit me and, um, and even my mom, you know, who I blame, would write me letters. And because I had that, I think in prison, you forget who you are and you turn into a person that you really weren't meant to be. Mm. So you, you, you morph into what the environment is morphing you into. Mm. Luckily I had my sisters and like, they would visit me and I'd like in my head, I'd be like, you know, I'm not this, this tough guy. I'm their little brother. You know, people love me. Um, when I have friends inside the prison yard who nobody visits them, nobody writes them, you know, seeing that, you know, I am fortunate in a lot of ways in more so ways than a lot of people who I was locked up with. And, and it's just, um, you know, if you didn't know, I'm writing a book and we're published it in November. Um, but one of the things I say that always stuck with me in there is one, I always felt that we were for guy, like, but we're somebody's brother. We're somebody's sister. We're somebody's son. Like somebody's connected to somebody who's behind bars once, you know, but 
when we're behind bars, we all lost sight that, you know, our story has value, not from our gang, not from the things we participate in, but because, you know, at one time we were all kids and innocent ones. Mm. We weren't, you know, we didn't just wake up and decide, hey, I'm going to live a life of crime. You know, that's just the way life transpires. But that's not who we have to be. You know, we don't have to stay in that train of thought and we don't have to stay um, down in our own minds and we don't have to devalue ourselves. And Because if you're getting your value from your gang, which I did too, you know, it's so twisted, but we don't know any better. And like mm-hmm. we said, the first thing is talking about it. And once you're okay with talking about it, like there's whole different levels of change that can happen, but you can't hold it in. And in prison, everybody's holding everything in. And that's why when the violence happens, it's intense because it's the outreach of all that pent-up aggression, exactly. all those pent-up emotions. And it's, you know... Yeah, it, there was, it, I, it was, I was just said it. Was it Mandela said education is the most powerful weapon we have in which to change the world. So I think educating these blokes that they can talk and open up and express and own their stuff. And I think we need to send them the John Farnham song, The Voice, Ryan. Because he was talking about we're all Fonzie. someone's daughters, we're someone's sons, we're all someone's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it would probably resonate. I, I, um, I had the visual then of like, you know, the prison and there's all these, you know, dudes walking around and there's like, they're just a little like, you know, five-year-old innocent who's yes. been hurt. Who's been hurt yes. But, but they're, exactly. wearing, they're wearing the big suit of a big tattooed, yeah. muscly dude and, um, yeah. and, all, and all of them are desperate to take this suit off. But like you said, Jose, they don't know how. Yeah, and they're, wearing education. That, they're wearing that suit to protect the five-year-old, and they're going to yes. protect it at any cost. Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. But at the end of the day, so, we're just desperate to all all take that off and and, and connect. So, in, incarcerating right. people as a form of punishment, oh, it, it doesn't seem like it's working. It doesn't seem like a very good system. I, I think it seems like we need more healing than. I started putting all these hurt people together. What are, what are your thoughts? I, I was listening to, sorry, before you jump in, I was listening to Russell Brand recently and um, he was going into all the prisons and doing talks and speaking to them. And he goes, when I first started going into the prisons, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go in and there's going to be just these intense, you know, people and, and evil, you know, killers or that kind of thing. He goes, I just saw a whole room of mentally ill people <laughs> who were just yeah, yeah. crying out for help. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> agreed. Um, so, so yeah, you reckon we need we more, healing or, yeah. more healing or more incarcerating people? I mean, these, I believe these are, I mean, man, that's a question. I believe in justice at the end of the day as well. Um, you know, I believe if you hurt somebody, you know, there needs to be justice. Um, but the root of Can that justice. healing be a part of that process, though? It has, like, healing has to be a part of it. Or else there's no rehabilitation. Exactly. Um, you know, how do we find a way to put that into the prison system? Like, you know, we're, Johan like, yeah, it should did be. the same thing with the, the drug thing. Has do you want to share? I that think it. Those? Yeah, it should be in there. Like, like at the very least, like um, have therapists in there. Have group mandatory. Because in prison, everything is mandatory. I wouldn't even make it voluntary. You have to go talk to a therapist. <laughs> you know, you have, so everything else, everything else is mandatory. Why make that voluntary? Like, 
you need to go talk. You know, yeah. start there. You're right. I agree. There, without healing, there's no rehabilitation. I fundamentally agree with that. How do we get into the system? Like, you know, man, that's a great question. That would take, you know, definitely much more deep thought. Um, mm. But having access to talking to someone who's willing to listen to you and then beyond that, you know, making a support group and and um, going from there, you know, but like I said, so, I, me so being so in many prison, of those I, prisoners. So many of those prisoners with a bit of training would make great therapists, you know, once they're right. healed and once they've got a lived experience, yeah. ex-cons going back into prisons, they'd, they'd build that rapport so easily. It's not some clinician sitting there with glasses and yeah, yeah. bad. It's, yeah, you know, I agree. someone sitting there going, man, I was in that cell over there. And, and, yeah. You know, I, I know what you're yeah. doing. And it just seems the easy path just to chuck people in and lock them up and, yeah, we'll deal with them later. It's it's going to take more effort, more energy to to yeah. put in place a system that can heal and educate. Um, but people just aren't willing to do that. They want to yeah, chuck humans away. Put, put them put them in time out. Put them in time out with other people just like you. So <laughs> see how that goes. Know? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. I'd love to talk about uh, a bit more, you know, what's happening now, Jose. Like, you've been going around the country filming people, uh, hearing about their story. I'd love to know maybe some of your takeaways from hearing all these stories and maybe what are some of the the, uh, the commonalities that people are going through or what struck you? Well, one, people want to, people want to share their story. People feel that they're not listening people feel that they're unheard um that was you know we had an idea that people would reach out to us and, and want to share their stories we just didn't know like that it would be right away and that just you know reinforced what we believe that there's people who want to share their story and we'll listen to their story and share it um within the stories finding that each person is truly unique you know, the yeah. delivery, the, the, you know, like <laughs> when I was depressed, like, oh, I'm just the same like everybody else. They're the same. Like we have big things where we, we are the same and there's the, those big similarities. But when you get into the nuanced uniqueness, you know, seeing that in each interview and no interview is the same. Um, uh, you know, shocked how open people are to talk about what they've been through. That lets me know yeah. that people need about it yeah well one of the big things like a lot of the, the work that i do is working out what people's underlying belief systems are mainly their belief systems that are causing all these issues in life and one of the big ones like we see obviously a lot i'm not good enough i'm not worthy i'm not worthy of love i don't love myself but also i'm not heard is massive it's so rife like in 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 pretty much nearly every female that I've worked with, they have a belief that they're not heard and a, and a very, very high percentage of men as well. And it's like, we all have this story that we want to get out, but we just don't feel worthy of someone listening to our stuff because we minimise who well, we are as a person. I think it's, it's yeah. being acknowledged. Being heard, being heard is being validated and being acknowledged. Mm. I think I think that's the deeper underlying thing that I've found with people. It's Yeah, they've got a story, but it's it's that my story has value and... and, and it has uh, validating it validates me and acknowledges me that I exist. That it comes uh, back yes, down to this this having inherent value, doesn't it? Because it's like yeah. you're right. If the person who doesn't feel heard doesn't feel acknowledged, and so what kind of person doesn't feel heard or acknowledged? Someone who has no value. 
Because like, if I got no value, why would anyone want to hear about me? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, did the human did the humans of New York um, uh, sort of help you guys in any way understand that people want to share their stories? Because there's the humans of Melbourne now that that you know they dude goes around and talks to people on the street and listens to their stories and shares it on social media. Did that influence what? you or did you know about I, that I couldn't, I couldn't, the, you said the what in, in New York? I, I... Oh, the, the humans of New York, um, you know, the social media. Right. Have, have oh, you come across the... that at all? Yeah, 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 I have. Actually, when we initially came up with the concept, somebody, I never heard of humans in New York. They're like, yo, humans of New York does the exact same thing. I was like, what? (laughs) 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 So I looked up humans in New York and, you know, fundamentally it was the same idea um, as far as execution, but we get much, much deeper. We get in, we get into the person. We, we get into the person, not just, not just the aesthetic, not just the, a story, not just a snippet. We want to get into the story of the actual inner person of who they are. Um, and so how, how long are the chats that you have? How, how long, roughly? Uh, they can go from 45 minutes to an hour and a half to yeah. two hours, depending on how the person, you know, if, if, if it keeps on going, it keeps on going. Um, yeah. And do, do you stop people from ruminating? Because a lot of the time when people haven't been heard for such a long, they've held onto this story for such a long time, they want to when they finally come to be able to speak about it, they want to dwell in it and they want to soak in it and submerge in it, which really isn't healthy. So do you have to carefully manage them to not let them ruminate and just to let them share in a healthy manner? I think the way if they do ruminate in it within the interview, it's usually not that long that, you know, we have a set, a set of questions that everybody gets answered. It's the same set of questions. Everybody answers them differently. We do go through traumatic experiences in their life, but we do end on a high note. We start the interview with what, you know, tell me a little bit about your childhood, but then what were your dreams as a child? We end the interview with that hope of still achieving those dreams that, Hey, you had this dream as a kid. So you felt that before. What's your dream as an adult? And I think the beautiful part of the actual interview is when we both sit there and they um, verbalize, and visualize their new dream as an adult. Mm. And in that moment, there's hope. And you know, what happens after that, I'm not sure, but within that time we get, you know, we end on a high note as to where like, hey, look, yeah, this is just what happened, but this doesn't have to define you. It's a part of you, but you decide it. You really take that ownership of your story and you understand that you're the main character, not anybody else. So you gotta, you know, take the steps to achieve who you want to be in your story. And in that moment, I think, you know, I for sure believe, um, and I see, you know, a spark in the person's eyes where they're like, Hey, yeah, you know, I've, I've been through all these things, but you know what? There's still a positive note to it. There's still hope. And, you know, so yeah, they're awesome. Yeah. Well, so, you guys yeah. are like a catalyst for change really, aren't you? You sort of come along, interview these people and hopefully open them up and expose them back to their dreams and get them yeah. connected with that and hopefully they create some shifts. Yeah, because it's yeah. like it's important for people to realise that we can still have dreams. Like we have all yeah. have these dreams as a kid, you know? I wanted to be yeah. a AFL footy player and play cricket for Australia <laughs> yeah. both at the same time, right? Yeah. right? And But yeah. then we lose that because we become an adult right. and everything gets very serious and we're like, oh, I'm not yeah. going to have dreams now. I just have to, you know, go to my shitty job that I don't like or, or whatever exactly. it is. What was yeah. your how dreams did, as a kid, guys... Jose? My, kid, my dreams, as I always wanted to be an architect. 
Architect, um, right. I want to be an architect. I want to be an architect, but uh, as soon as I started getting into math classes, I knew I, knew I had to redirect. <laughs> Not for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're an architect in a different way now, Jose. Architect, architect for change. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like to say that I build things in people's hearts. So yeah, it's, it's exactly, you know, it's beautiful. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, I always wanted like I like looking at, at beautiful buildings, and I wanted to build beautiful buildings. And you know, the way architecture set up is that it's not for people who aren't good in math, apparently. So <laughs> well, that's you know, bullshit. You're building. That's stupid. <laughs> you're building. You're building yeah. beautiful people, which is far more important. Way more important. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, how um how do you guys fund what you're doing? You travel around the states. You're going to travel internationally. How are you government funded, or are you got sponsors? No, or how, how so you guys... that's where um you know when I initially had the idea, like this was um and I came to Ralph, which I think um, I'm quite sure you guys are going to interview shortly. Set up a time to yeah. have Ralph on. Yep, definitely. Um, we just wanted to have the number one brother on first. You know, get that done. <laughs> <laughs> No, Organic no. Ralph depends on what what you yeah. what you tell him after this. You might you might get off this and go, those Australian dudes, man, don't go near them. Man, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say, you know what? You know what? Hey, I I tested it out. It's not it's not for you, Ralph. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, not for anybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the way we fund it is we fund it ourselves. Um, we knew going in that we would have to spend a good amount of cash. Um, at the end of the day, I think we're driven by something bigger than ourselves at this point, and that's the power behind it. It's the power behind the message that we don't care how much money we have to spend, we'll spend it. Whatever money we spend for travel, we'll get it done. Whatever money to travel international, we'll get it done. Um, money's not an issue at this point, not because um, the finances are there, was because that if we need money, we'll go and work for it, we'll get it, whether it's out of our own jobs, our own savings, or whatever. For right now, we have to fund it, and that's what we're doing. Yeah, so you guys have got your own employment and you put your wages towards this. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Yeah. And let's so talk yeah, about... I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky if I'm at three digits at any point in the month. So, you know, as soon as the money's in, it's out. But, I, you know, honestly, I haven't been happier, so... Yeah, and I think that when when we are on a mission and like I'm sure you're the same, Nick, I can feel your passion and your energy coming through as you talk about this. And when we're we're on that path and that mission, I think tends things tend to align, you know. And if yeah. these this is meant to happen, that's when money ends up in the account and we can keep yeah. moving forward. And I have yeah. no no doubt that'll happen for you and continue to happen. The payback is that you're in service, I think, and that's that's a, a beauty of this is you're in you are serving others and and that's where the reward lies for you mate yeah i love that let's just quick before we wrap up you mentioned already a book coming out in november jose do you want to tell us about that yeah the book's called love faith and violence the true song and story um good name essentially it's yeah essentially it's me going through my uh from my childhood all the way to my uh uh, joining a gang, prison, and then it ends at my uh, prison release. Um, and it's going through my life through the lens of my emotions. So the way I write, it, I, I emphasize writing through the emotions so that the reader can feel what I'm feeling during those events of my life. Um, that's why it's called a song and story because a lot of times I break into the lyric form in it. Um, and it's essentially me answering the questions I ask the people I interview just in the narrative form. So, yep. 
Yeah, I love that. I love that. And and, and where do you see we are all one story going, let's say in the next two, three, four years? Oh, we have big, I mean, our, our, you know, we dreamed a big dream. Um, We definitely want to, want to not just share stories from people in the U S but from people around the world. We definitely want to carry this message as cross as far as we can. And as long as we can, um, we definitely decided that this was a lifetime commitment for us, not just for me, but also for Ralph and, you know, we're in it for the long haul. Um, and we think that, you know, we'll see the numbers come when they come. But, uh, right now we're just worried about the work. Awesome, mate. Awesome. And whereabouts can people find you? People who are listening who want to check you guys out, where's the best place for them to, to see some of these stories and videos? If you want to see um, the actual full interviews, you can go to our YouTube channel. We are at We Are All One Story. If you want to see how I break the interviews down in snippets, which is not, you know, in its full context, you can see that through our Instagram account at We Are All One Story. Or you can check us out on our website, WeAreAllOneStory.net. Dot net. Awesome, awesome. Nico, anything you want to add before we wrap up? No, just can you can you put a sh- Melbourne, Australia on your itinerary when you decide to? Of course, you know what? I, I know we're a long way Australia. away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, you know, we, we would love to have you, Jose. Definitely, I would love to. I would love to meet up when I'm out there, and I do plan on being out there. I do plan on being. That's awesome, Come man. You let us know. Mate. We'll, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll send you. We'll send you this song by John Farnham. He's like a, the Australian icon. You're the but in, in order for me to go out there, it, it has to be worth it, which means I have to interview you guys. <laughs> you know, hey, me and Nick love talking about ourselves. No, <laughs> that no, might be could, a problem. We could, we could never, we could never open up. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we, me, me and Nick, we could get about a hundred people lined up down here pretty fast. I think. Yeah. Uh, only four, yeah. only four. Four? All right. Yeah, Me, excited. Nick, you I'm choose excited. one, Nick, and I'll choose one, and then we've got four. All right, we'll, yeah, we'll bring a date. Awesome. Bring a date. <laughs> that'll be awesome. <laughs> Imagine that. Be, First date, where it'll are we going? Bonding. It'll be bonding. First date, where are we going? We're going to sit in front of a camera and tell our life story. Oh, shit. Yeah. Pick someone yeah, else. Open up, all, open up all your wounds. You ready? Yeah, yeah. you ready? <laughs> you, only, you only bring the date if you want to marry her. That's a serious, serious step right there. <laughs> <laughs> serious step. Uh, all right, Jose, I just want to say thank you so, so much for coming on. This yeah, has been geez, a real pleasure man. talking to you, mate. And um, yeah, we are looking forward to everyone listening, checking out We Are All One Story. We're looking forward to uh, hopefully chatting to Ralph in, in a couple of weeks and um, getting his perspective because I know he's got an amazing story just like yours. Different yeah. but similar challenges and obstacles just like you're exactly. finding with your story. So yeah, we really, really appreciate you and what you're doing. Awesome. Thank you, guys. All right. Thank you all for tuning in, everyone. We'll see you all next week. Peace out. Peace. Thank you for tuning in to the Woke Blokes podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. Also, leave us a five-star rating. We thank you so much, and we'll see you all next time. Oh,